We are going to be in Luke chapter 13 today, Luke chapter 13. My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. Very excited that you're here with us today. We are going to be looking at a a story from the life of Jesus found in Luke chapter 13 uh, and learn more about who he is and what he means for our lives, how it would impact us. Uh, If you have the Bible that's in the, the seat, underneath the seat in front of you, We're going to be on page 847. For everyone else, if you're on your device or you brought a Bible from home, we're in Luke 13, 10 through 17. I encourage you to take out God's Word and to read it as we go along because I find when we personally engage with the Word, when we let it sink deep within us, it bears incredible fruit. And it helps us. We live in a really distracted uh, generation, right, with so many notifications and buzzing and all this stuff. And when we take time to, like, slow down and look at God's Word, it changes us. And so that's what we're going to be doing. I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, Has anyone in here uh, ever done a home improvement project, an apartment improvement project, a kind of a DIY, let's make it better where I live type project that did not turn out like you expected. We've got, we got a few. In the first service, we had a majority of hands were going up. I trust that it's the same here. I was thinking about for my wife and I, several years ago, we bought a house that needed some updating, and we got one of those mortgages where they gave you some money to update the house, and so we were trying to do that. And uh, we needed to update the kitchen cabinets. They were from, you know, the mid-1900s, and and we're just not working that well. So we needed to update them. And my wife is an interior designer by trade. She loves to take things and make them beautiful. And so she was like, man, this is my dream. She's drawing up plans. She's on Pinterest. She's doing all this stuff, like getting ideas. And she draws up these very simple but clear drawings of the type of cabinets that we want to build and the layout uh, thereof in the kitchen. So then we're like, okay, we need a contractor. And we had some other contractors doing different things in our house. And so we asked one of them, hey, do you know somebody that's good at making cabinets? And the guy said, yeah, my brother, it's it's what he does. So we're like, great, let's talk to him. He he came out. uh, He looked at what we were trying to do. We gave him the blueprint. And uh, he said, okay, let me put together an estimate. He put together an estimate, sent it to us, sent us a list of references with phone numbers we could call of people he said would vouch for his work. And so we're like, great. We pay him some money. We get going on the project. And um, they get installed, countertops on, uh, faucet, like your sink there, uh, painted. And Christine and I are looking at the cabinets after all this. And they, they, they did look good like when you walked up to them. But what we noticed was like when you tried to open one of the cabinet doors or pull out a drawer, it was like something here is not quite right. Like the doors weren't exactly level. The drawers, you know, you kind of had to put some muscle on it to get it out, which you're like, oh, this isn't what we envisioned. And then we noticed that there were drawers and cabinets in places that we hadn't asked for them to be. Like here's the blueprint, here's what we're asking for. And the contractor I guess he just thought it was like creative license to take these ideas and, well, hey, let me, let me put some of my own touches on this, kind of make how I think you should have your kitchen, and, and voila. 
And when I realized all this, I was like, oh my goodness. And I was very frustrated. So I'm calling the guy and I'm trying not to be too frustrated. I don't want to, you know, uh, lose my witness. And at the same time, I don't want to be a pushover and just say, well, it doesn't matter. Because like this does matter. This was a lot of money. And I talked to him and he's like, well, sorry. Um, I already spent your money. I can come tear out the cabinets if you want. And I was just kind of like, wait, what? Like, if you come tear out the cabinets, then I have no money and no cabinets. Like, how does this work? How's that a good idea? And we just agreed to disagree over that uh, resolution. But I learned uh, in that moment that projects, the way you intend them, kind of the way the, the designer, the owner, you know, has the blueprint for how he wants it to come out or she wants it to come out, things don't always happen that way. Sometimes things get twisted and off course and somebody takes some creative license to take it into their own hands. And, and we're going to read today uh, that that kind of issue doesn't just happen in home improvement projects or apartment improvement projects. It happens in religion too. And we're going to read about a story in the life of Jesus where someone took his original plan and, and design and they kind of took some creative license with it and twisted it all around. And we're going to see how Jesus responds. So Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So Sabbath is their holy day. It's a day of rest where you're not working. It's a day of enjoyment where you're taking delight in who God is and all the things that he's provided and you're worshiping. And that was kind of a big deal in their culture. It was a rhythm. It was kind of what life revolved around. And it's on the Sabbath day that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. We see this as a pattern and a habit of Jesus. He is a teacher. He is often teaching in synagogues, their version of a church. He's often there. We see throughout the Gospel of Luke, teaching from the Scriptures, ministering to people. And that's what he's doing on this particular Sabbath. Verse 11, in the synagogue that day, there was a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. So he's there, he's teaching, people are gathered for worship, and Jesus notices that there is a woman there who is bent over with a spirit. And she can't stand up. My wife and I, we used to live in North Africa, and we would see uh, many people, because the way that they did landscaping there, they would hire uh, women, and they didn't want to use machinery because they needed uh, jobs. And so the government thought, well, we'll have landscaping jobs. And, and the, a lot of the women, their job was to be bent over all day, cutting, like with a hand tool, cutting the grass, picking up the clippings, Day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. And so after a while, their backs just grew that way. This isn't that. This is there's some sort of spirit that has crippled this woman and her back. And think about living in an agrarian society and not being able to stand straight up. Like it's not like she could just sit on the couch and just order off Amazon and watch Netflix. Like they're having to go out and get their food and do life. And she can't, she can't do that. She's crippled by a spirit. 
Sometimes when your back goes out, it goes out for a day or it goes out, you know, for a couple days and you have to go to physical therapy. This isn't just a little window. This is 18 years. That's our time. Think back to 2001. Some of you weren't even born yet. That's how long this lady has been crippled by that spirit. You just feel for it. Like if you put yourself in her shoes, you realize how difficult life would be. What's interesting in, in this passage um, is we're going to see Jesus is going to heal her. We're going to read that in a moment. But Bible commentators uh, have wrestled with why is this story of healing included in the gospel of Luke? Why, why did he put it here? There's so many stories about healing in the gospel of Luke. We did a whole teaching series on Jesus' ministry of healing. And they're like, why, why is this particular one there? And many of the scholars, many of the commentators believe this is a story about that individual woman being healed, and yet it's more than just a story about her life. You know, the Apostle John said Jesus did more miracles than could be recorded in all the books in the world. And so the writers of the Gospels had to take the stories and, and distill them to, to give people like you and me a window in to Jesus. And, and I believe that this is here because when Jesus was interacting with this woman, he's interacting with, with more than just her. That this woman is a, a picture or a symbol of the nation. This woman is a picture or a symbol of humanity being crippled by sin, bent over, can't move, locked up, shut down by the power of sin, just destroying lives. So it's about a woman being healed, but it's about much more than a woman. It's about physical healing, but we'll see this is much more than just physical healing. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And when he put his hands on her, uh, and he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and began to praise God. So when Jesus sees her, he calls her forward and he heals her. And she stands up and begins praising God. Wouldn't you if that happened to you? Right, she's rejoicing. If you've ever been in the room where someone experiences a dramatic physical healing, you know what that feeling is like when it's like the, the, the wind goes out of the room or electricity comes in where it's just kind of like, wow, we are on holy ground. And that's what everyone there would have felt. This is what Jesus is doing. And again, when you think about it in terms of not just this woman, but who she represents, the nation, humanity even. You get a picture for the mission and the heartbeat of Jesus, that Jesus is about healing lives. Jesus is about healing broken lives. Jesus is about healing broken relationships. 
Jesus is about healing broken marriages and broken families. Jesus is about healing broken communities and broken schools. Jesus is about healing broken industries and broken nations. Jesus is about healing a broken humanity. Releasing it from the things that we have been afflicted by because of sin. To stand up upright, to praise God, and to get on with living true life. That's the mission and the heartbeat of Jesus. So he interacts with this woman. This is about her, but it's about so much more. It's about you and me. This is what God wants to do in your life. This is what God wants to do in your family. This is what God's desire is through you, in your community, with your neighbors, at your school, in your industry, in our nation, and in the nations of the earth. This is who God is and what he's about. Isn't Jesus good? Isn't Jesus good? I mean, it's just such a blow away. This is what he's about. There's one older crippled woman. In the midst of a crowd of people, Jesus, who people are crowding around to get to, he notices her. And he stops everything for her. And he brings healing into her life. Do you know, did anybody really care about this woman? I don't know. There's no real useful function she can provide for the community, right? She's obscure. She's marginalized. She's weak. And Jesus sees her. And Jesus loves her. And Jesus heals her. And that's what he does for you and for me. That's what he does for us. That's what he does in lives when people open themselves up to him. What an amazing story. But now look at in verse 14. Now, if you were texting this story to a friend, like if you were there that day and you were like, oh my goodness, you won't believe what happened, you'd definitely tell them about the healing. Then you'd also tell them about this next part and use that little face palm emoji. Because what we're about to read, I'm sure Jesus was just like, oh my goodness. So get this, indignant, which means angry, upset, mad, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. Wait, what? Think about how absurd this is. This lady gets healed and set free right in front of him. And his response, the leader of their version of church, the leader of the people of God, his response is, everybody, Knock it off. Knock it off, right? You can come on any of the other six days and be healed. Healings like this don't happen very often, right? We read about them in the life of Jesus. We read about them in the apostles. But like, this isn't like, oh, yeah, this is normal in our synagogue. People just get healed uh, from diseases they've had for 18 years. No. But yet he's saying, well, hey, uh, you know, come back tomorrow, really, if you've got a healing. And Jesus, if you could just do that on another day because this is the Sabbath day, and there's certain things that should go on. And in my opinion, healing broken lives, healing crippled women, that is not one of them. We need to keep the rules here. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. So if you're Jesus, and this dude rises up and says that, and he's saying, I'm the representative of God, 
I am the representative leader in this church. I'm the one that communicates the values of God. He rises up and says that. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? I imagine uh, you are getting angry. After the face palm removes, you're like, you got to be kidding me. So what does Jesus do? Well, he does get angry. And we're glad that he gets angry. He says this. The Lord answered him. You hypocrites. Sorry, I got off of my place. You hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Jesus corrects him, challenges him, puts him in his place. And he basically says, look, you're such a hypocrite. You'll care for your livestock this afternoon. You'll lead them out to get water and to make sure that they're okay. And yet you won't care for this woman who is in front of you? And it says that the people rejoiced in all that Jesus was doing, and the synagogue leader was ashamed. Right? After that, you're like, oh. He does his own face palm. And the people are just blown away, not because the synagogue leader is ashamed, but because of the goodness of God put on display. And as I've read this, I realize that there really are two crippled people in this story. There's the woman, but this synagogue leader also has something that's got him locked up, deceived, off. I mean, you just read this and you're like, this is absurd. And and the crippled woman, I believe, knew her need for healing. I don't know if this gentleman did. I've read this and read this and read this. I'm like, this is so bizarre when you actually think about it. Like, how would someone even respond this way? And it's been really hard for me to relate to the synagogue leader. Because I'm like, who does that? That's ridiculous. And as I was praying and just spending time with the Lord in the Word uh, this week, I was asking the Lord just to help me with this text, just connect with, with what's he trying to say in here? What, what, what's important about this? And this uh, video, this viral video that came out about a year ago came to mind just out of nowhere. And I'm going to show it to you. It's really funny. Uh, but I, when I watched it, when I went back and watched it, I realized for me, and I bet if we're honest, for each one of us, the mindset of this synagogue leader is not so far off from places that we can get to in our own lives. It seems absurd at first. When we think about the heart of what's going on, you watch this video, I think we all realize, including myself, how often we can get things twisted just like this guy did. If you'll play the video. (laughs) That video is... So funny. My favorite part is when they said, you scored high on the need for accountability. (laughs) Now, when I watched that video, I just was struck by several things. 
it is important to find a good church that you connect with, that you feel like, man, this is a place for, for me, right? And if, if Antioch isn't that place, I'd love to connect you to, there are a number of good churches around that I know that I'd love to connect you to some place that is a good place for you. Um, that being said, it highlights something that I know that I can get into, and I imagine that you can as well, given how many views this video had, it's something that we can relate to, uh, is that idea of, of it's easy to get twisted to where church becomes all about me and my preferences. You know, it's not bad to want biblical teaching, but then it can easily get twisted into, well, yeah, I do want the humor of Andy Stanley and the body of Stephen Furtick, right? You, you can just get that place. Or, you know, uh, the lobby size is like this or that, and it doesn't really fit my... All those things, we can do that so easily. And I realized this, this synagogue leader, I don't think he started out just some jaded, like off-base person. I imagine he started out because he loved God and loved people. And it's, it's right. It was right to value the Sabbath. And I think that's important. And yet somehow in his mind, things got twisted away from the original intent and purpose, God's purpose for the church, which is a place and a people to demonstrate his goodness and to heal broken lives and to heal a broken humanity. And it became about rules and standards and procedures. And, well, this is the way that I think it should be done. I want to make sure you know the way that I think it should be done. It became about that, and he just got way off base. And as I watched that video, I just realized how often that can be me. And it's so deadly and toxic and deceitful when I think the purpose of the church of Jesus is about me. Or when you think the purpose of the church of Jesus is about you and your preferences. And this is the reason why it can be so toxic when that happens. I am a moving target. That means what I want today, this morning, is probably going to be different than what I want this afternoon. And I'll have these thoughts, man, I, I would be happy if I could just get this certain TV with the Roku, cowboy season is coming up, I'll be ready to watch. That's what I'll think. And then I'll get the TV and I'll get the Roku and I'll be sitting there and be like, oh, you know what I really need is some speakers. If I had speakers to project the sounds of the game, then I would be happy. And it's just elusive. And so often the, the, the things in our life that were yesterday's prayer requests that God breaks through and does become today the things that I take for granted. And I'm just like on to the next greener pasture. And so when it's about me, and I'm constantly a moving target, it's just going to lead to death. And I heard a guy talking recently about his philosophy about life, and he was like, you know, basically I think that this is a, our world is like a single-player video game. I mean, there's, there's no purpose. There's no real other players other than me, him, and the game I want to play. That's what I need to do. Just make myself happy. I want to tell you, 
Though our world says live life like a single player video game and just do what you want to do, there's not real life found there. There's emptiness found there. There's no meaning found there. There's no relationship found there. There's no purpose found there. And it's just life in a vain pursuit of the next thing that comes up within me that I think that I want. If I had that thing, I would really be alive. I would really be happy. But the way of the kingdom is when we let things be about Jesus, when he's the center, when it's about what he wants and he desires and he's in his rightful place, then you know what happens? Life flows. And the kingdom is so different. Life comes through death. Life comes through me denying this preference I have and that preference I have and say, you know what? I'm gonna be about Jesus' preference. And when I do that, my heart opens up and life pours in. Goodness pours in. Transformation pours in. This synagogue leader had somehow made it all about what he wanted. And I worry sometimes that we can do the same thing. And we miss the heart of God. We miss God's heart for the church. We make the church about just our own little preferences. How loud do you like the sound system? You know, what, what, what version of the Bible do you preach from? And some of those things are worth talking about. But so often, those things can become main things. And we lose sight of the main thing, which is Jesus and his desire to heal a broken humanity. In people like you and me, through people like you and me. So as we're in a time of vision as a church, the last several weeks we've been going over where, where is God leading us? Where is God calling us to, to go? Where is he calling us to grow? I've been talking about this big idea, prepare the feast for the city. And what I love about our church is when I read a passage like this and when we talk about God's heart for people, you are like, yes and amen. That is what I want to be about. That is what I love about Jesus. I am in. Put that song back on. Stir a passion. Let's go. Like, we love that. And I love that about you. And the thing that I believe God is calling us to over this next year is to take that value and not just have it in our hearts, but to embody it in our lives. Not just to believe it, but to live it. And I believe that the seed is there. I believe that it's there. I believe in you. I believe in what God's done in you. But I believe that he's calling us in this season to grow and to go. And that's what this idea of prepare the feast is about. And if this is your first week here in this vision series, uh, just I'll refresh it for you. The idea of prepare the feast all throughout the gospel of Luke, there are feasts going on. Jesus is always throwing feasts for people, celebrating them and seeing lives being transformed. And when I think about the church, when I think about the gifts God's given to us all, because God's given you gifts, talents, strengths that he has placed in your life. And when your gift of leadership and your gift of just being able to pull people together and rally people together and your heart for prayer and your love for the poor, and when those things come together, 
It's like a spiritual feast. We are greater together than the sum of the individual parts. Your gifts are amplified when they're in partnership with other people. My gifts are amplified in partnership with other people. Right, that's how God's picture of the church. And when we bring our gifts, when we bring our talents, when we bring our strengths, and we bring them not just for our own preferences and to make the church more about what I want or what you want, but when we bring them to make the church more about what Jesus wants and his heart is for our city, then we prepare the feast for the city. And so practically, uh, our hope is that over this year, over 2019 to May 2020, that we would see our church grow in knowing our spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. God's put them in your life. I think it's important for you and I to have some sort of awareness of what those gifts are so we can know what we have to bring. And so we went through a spiritual gift series. Uh, We're helping people with that. We'll continue to offer opportunities towards that end. But we want you to know your gifts. And we want you to join a serve team. We want to see everyone who calls Antioch Dallas home to join a serve team, a place to serve. And we're not doing this so that we can, like, polish up our church and make it look nice and just, you know. No, no, no. We're coming together to serve our city We're coming together to serve people with broken lives and broken families and broken marriages and broken hope and broken dreams. And we're coming together to be about that purpose. And I want to encourage everyone who calls Antioch Dallas home to use your gifts with your serve team on mission for the city. So over this year, I want to challenge you in that area. I want to encourage you in that area. I want, to, I want to lead you, if you'll let me, in that area. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to work in our hearts, and he wants to meet people and transform lives. And this is so important. Uh, sometimes people come to our church uh, from a smaller church, and they're looking for a bigger church. Sometimes they come from a bigger church, and they're looking for a smaller church. Sometimes they come from a more um, word-centric church, and they're looking for a more charismatic church. Or they come from a more charismatic church and they're looking for a more word-centric church or, or, or whatever, right? And if that's your story, you're so valuable and we love you and your life matters and we're glad you're here. At the same time, I just want to point out our hope in doing this is not so the church gets a little more polished so somebody who was worshiping over there is now like, ooh, I'll go check that place out. No, 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 no. That's not what we're about. We're about people who are waking up this morning isolated and alone. We're about people who are waking up this morning. They're not deciding, well, should I go to this service at 10 or this service at 1030 or that? They're not doing that. We're we're, we're talking about people who wake up this morning and wonder, is God even real? Does he even care about me? Is there any relevance for my life? Is the church even for me? Maybe the church will be again. Like those type of people. People that don't feel like they have a spiritual home. I read that uh, over 50% of Dallas in the 2010 census, over 50% of the Metroplex said they have no spiritual home. So what that means is that when you think about where you live, 
just do the math. That's one out of every two people that you see. That's amazing. We're talking about them. We're talking about being about Jesus and letting his heart for, as we read last week, those that are lost, he wants to bring them home. Those that are dead, he wants to make them alive. That's where we're headed. That's what we're pointing to. That's the heartbeat of all this. And it's exciting. So uh, I've given three steps over the last couple weeks uh, that I believe can be steps for everyone to take, to participate in. But as we've been doing this, I've also been sharing just little thoughts on what happens along the way in our lives as we go on mission with Jesus. And last week I talked to you about as we serve, as we enter in in that way, that we begin to discover our own gifts and we begin to discover places of impact and that leads to great joy. But it comes through serving. I want to give you a little different angle, just a different thought that I was thinking about. I don't know if you guys, I imagine you have, have seen those commercials, whether on TV or YouTube or wherever, uh, that are about Las Vegas. And the, the tagline is, what happens in Vegas stays in? Yes. Y'all watch more uh, TV than the first service. Good. Okay. Um, so what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And the idea of the commercials is, hey, come to Las Vegas, whatever you do, uh, will have no impact back on your, your real life. So come to Sin City, basically. Um, sometimes the church can get that reputation as well. What happens in the church stays in the church. And you'll meet people or you'll hear, story, hear stories about people who were one way inside the four walls of the church. And then as soon as they leave the parking lot, they're a completely different person, right? And they may put on a great front in the four walls of the church and may say all the right things and then go and live in a way that's completely opposite of the way of Jesus. I'm not talking about, you know, somebody doing their best to try. I'm talking about just way off track. You probably either know somebody like this or met somebody like this or maybe uh, you've been somebody like this, right? And what I want to say is that what happens as we serve does not just stay in the four walls of the church. When I was, I told you last week about joining an evangelism team and how that caused me to grow. Around that same time, I was in a life group and uh, my life group leaders came to me and they said, hey, we want you to pray about helping to lead this life group. Now, I was like, wow, I really like this life group. I didn't think of myself as like a leader of the life group. I didn't even think of myself as a leader. At that point in my life, I'd never led anything. I'd barely led my own life, right? <laughs> Trying to keep myself out of a ditch. And so I'm like, I don't know why you're asking me that. I realized it's because I attended the life group and I wasn't in trouble with the law. And so I think the bar was fairly low. <laughs> but somehow my leaders saw something in me and they said, hey, uh, we want to encourage you, pray about this and take the step. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to, to do it. It was a big step for me. It's a big step. I remember going to the training and kind of hearing, you know, the different things and, and the values. And I was like, man, this is so inspiring. And it, it feels like a responsibility. It feels like something that's like that the Lord has called me to. And so a shift happened in my life at that point. My habit up until then had been to go to class in the morning, then go play basketball in the afternoon as long as I could until my legs were shaking too much that so we had to quit. 
me and my friends, and then do the same thing all over the next day. And yet when I committed to leading this group, I realized my schedule is going to have to change. And for me, this was a really big deal. Because this was the first time in my life where I had changed my schedule, not to optimize it for my own benefit, because there's something that I wanted to go and do, but because I was thinking about somebody else. First time in my life. Maybe, maybe you're a lot more godly than I was, but it was the first time for me. And I realized, I was like, I, I need to stop going to play basketball on Wednesday afternoon. I can still play other times, but I need, I need to make sure that I'm ready and that I've prayed up and I've read over the stuff and I'm ready for the group. And a shift began to happen in my life. I had heard Christians are supposed to be giving and not, not prideful, not self-seeking, all those things. I'd read that in a lot of books. But honestly, if you looked at my life, I was pretty much just about me. And then I began to be... Uh, introduced to a different way to live. My schedule began to change, and that meant my priorities began to change, and I started thinking about other people, which for me was like a revelatory moment. You're like, oh man, you are a mess. Yes, but it helped me. So then I graduate, I become a teacher, and I realize that mindset that I learned through serving Leading Life Group when I went into the classroom, I realized this class is not primarily about me and what I want to do. This class is about the students in my class and their lives and their growth. That mindset that I learned through leading life group of thinking and considering other people and not just myself translated over into an at-risk school in my city, working with kids from the poorest of the poor in my city, and yet doing it with a Christ-like mindset that I would not have had apart from practicing, serving, and growing in that way. In Life Group, I learned that people responded to encouragement, that people needed encouragement. That was news to me. Now, you may be like, man, I'm just letting you in. I don't know that I'd ever encouraged someone in my entire life up until this point. And yet, I hear the leaders, they're encouraging people. They would encourage me. I would see people encourage one another in the group. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to learn how to do this. So I started learning how to encourage people. So then when I became a teacher and I'm working with students, I realized students need encouragement. In fact, they need a lot more encouragement than they do correction even the kids that are the worst kids. But it was what I had learned, the skills that I had learned through practicing serving that translated over into the classroom, into the lives of kids. Leading life group, I, I, I discovered principles of leadership. Now, again, I'd never led anything. I, I was just like, I don't know, but it was so interesting to me. So I would read books, and I would go to trainings, and i just kind of absorb it all, and I found this passion for leadership that I didn't know that I had. And it stirred something up in me as the song talked about. And so at the end of my first year of teaching, I do the annual review and the principal sits down with me and says, hey, you've done a good job this year. Appreciate your hard work, but we actually think your path forward is not being a teacher, but it's being a principal. We think you, you have a, a gift to lead. Again, that was eye-opening to me 
But what they were saying was, we want you to have influence, not just in a classroom, but influence in the school as a whole. Again, that wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have had the, the, the preparation, the training, the strength to have that opportunity to step into that place of influence apart from serving and growing in that way. So I want to encourage you that when we serve, when you sign up for a serve team or as you're serving, the stuff that happens that you learn, the things you're equipped with, are not meant just to stay in the four walls of the church, but then they equip you to be a Christ-like leader in whatever sphere God has called you to. And they give you the tools to do that with integrity, with authenticity, and with influence. And so here's, here's what I'm asking. Uh, if you are new and you don't know your gifts, you're, so you're new or you're here but you don't know your gifts, or you're here and you, you've not joined a serve team, I want to encourage you to take a step today and go to our next planted class. Our class planted is an opportunity for you to connect with people, to build relationships. The church is relational. To build relationships, to learn about the gifts God has put in your life, and to get connected with a serve team where you can serve with others, making an impact, preparing a feast for the city. If that sounds like something, you're like, man, that's something that I need to do. I want to encourage you, pull out your phone right now, text 97,000, or text to 97,000 the word planted, and it'll send you the link to sign up for our next class in the middle of September. Highly encourage you to do that. Uh, If you have uh, been serving and you want to grow, I want to encourage you to do Antioch Discipleship School. We're starting up for the fall here at the beginning of September. We're still in open enrollment. And it's for people who say, I've been serving, and I just feel like the Lord is calling me to grow. I, help, I lead the class along with a team. It's on Sundays from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. And we focus on understanding our identity as sons and daughters. We focus on encountering Jesus. We focus on learning to practice his ways and learning to build his kingdom. And we, we do those things in community. And it's a great way to just put yourself in the place of growing and strengthening and being more about the purposes of God. And I want to encourage you, if you've not done it, to jump in. I'd love to have you. So if that's you, you can sign up uh, by texting DSchool to 97000 for more info. You'll be invited to the interest meeting or the orientation, rather, uh, which is you can just come check it out. And that will be on September the 8th. You can come check it out. And then if you're like, man, this is it, jump in with us starting September the 15th. Last one, you've been serving, you've completed the discipleship school, and you want to grow. You're like, man, I, I feel like God's calling me to more. I want to invite you to take a step to be a pillar in this house, to be a spiritual mother and father. And just like these pillars make a place for many, there are men and women throughout our church who are like pillars, who create space for many in our, in our city to have a home here in our church. And so uh, I heard someone last week say, you know, I don't know, I, I want to be a pillar, but I don't know if you guys want me to be a pillar. I just want to tell you, this is not like a Navy SEAL select team. I would love for everyone in our church to go through these things, to grow with us, and to become a pillar, right? So if you're like, man, that's something I'm interested in, we want you. 
you got a place. So just text in and let us know. And if you would say, well, I, I think you guys would already consider me a pillar. I just want to encourage you times, right? I see this in, in family all the time. We're thinking one thing. The other person doesn't know it unless we say it. So if you're like, well, I think you guys already know I'm a pillar, just text in. Say, call me pillar to 97,000. Call me pillar. Okay, I want to invite us to stand. I, I've talked a little too long, but we're going to uh, close. I got excited this morning. The AC is working properly, so it just means I can go a little bit longer without you guys going like this. Okay, we're going to take communion together. Uh, as we take communion and we remember the body of Jesus broken for us, we take of the bread and we remember that. Remember, the, we take of the cup, we remember his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. I remember that he's the one that's come looking for us. That he's the one that's come to heal a broken humanity and gave us all to see that happen in your life and mine. And he's the one that invites us to the table again today. And it's his power that we need to be able to live out this vision. So as you come forward and you take of communion, I want you to remember God's love for you. And I want you to ask the Lord to stir a passion in your heart and to empower you to live out his purposes and his mission for his people. I'm going to pray for us, and then the officiants will be up here, and we can take communion when you're ready. Jesus, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're so good. Your goodness is just a blow away, God. And thank you that your heart is to heal broken lives and broken people and broken cities and broken nations, Lord. And you want to move through your people, the church, to see that happen. So we just want to respond to you, Lord, again today. And we come to you. We come to your table by grace through what you've done on our behalf, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can come forward. Thank you.